lesson from the Psalter is Psalm 19. Let us read responsibly. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them God has set a tent for the sun which comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and runs its course with joy like a strong man. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hid from its seat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clear, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can understand one's own errors? Clear me from hearing faults. Also, keep your servant from the insolent. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. this scripture, a familiar passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, or slave, or free. And we all were given one spirit to drink. Certainly, the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a a hand, does that make it, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, Does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, 
God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like He wanted. If all were one and the same body part, what would have what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be division in the body, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't have gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts. Let us join our hearts as we bow together. God, some of us are here just because our hearts are so heavy with concerns for family and our own personal health, with uh, concerns about uh, extended family and uh, difficulties at, at home and in the homes of our loved ones. We're here because the news day after day repeats itself so often of violence and meanness and evil and wickedness. And uh, the issues of, of abortion and homosexual relations, so many things that even drive your church apart. So we come to pray. We present all of these concerns to you and we do that because you alone are worthy to hear our concerns. You alone are strong enough, compassionate enough to make a difference in not just our feelings, but in our lives. You can give us hope. You can give us uh, knowledge. You can give us direction as to how we can help in our own families and in our own homes to bring healing and to bring restoration and to uh, 
celebrate the gift of life in your presence. And you alone are stronger than all the evil and wickedness of the world. Your grace is greater than our sin, greater than our guilt and our wickedness. At our worst, you have come to save us. May the world hear this message. May we have enough hope as we leave here that we would go to share hope with others and that we would dare to hope for the salvation of all the world. We thank you for this congregation where we share love and hope and encouragement. Where we work to feed a a hungry community and where we can help provide for the needs of school children and the needs of families all around. We thank you for our denomination because for what we can do here, we do so much more in our nation and in the world. We come in various moods and states of being, but we would leave rejoicing that Your Word is fresh, that uh, your, your words are encouraging and hopeful. Give us clear direction and, and a strong sense of purpose for living our faith to the fullest. We pray in Jesus' name and we pray as Jesus has taught us when we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.
reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. The Word of God for the people of God. How often is God's Word presented and then rejected? Even within Scripture, it's time after time after time. Sometimes it seems to be forgetfulness, and sometimes it may be just plain old rebellion. And we might say, well, after all, we're human. We're prone to sin. But what about us in in this day and age? Those of us who come to worship God and who do so in in the name of Jesus, with the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of Holy Communion to keep us on track. Well, I want you to think a little bit about rejection. Now, is there anybody here who has never been rejected? But some of us know what it is. You know, by a girlfriend or boyfriend, by sometimes by a brother or sister. Sometimes by an employer or a would-be employer. Most of us have suffered rejection. Jesus suffered rejection. Here he gives a good sermon. We're all fairly familiar with this passage from Isaiah. When we read our Old Testament, there are three questions that are usually asked. You know, who's this talking about? Is it, is it talking about Isaiah the prophet? Is it talking about some other prophet? Or is it a reference to Jesus? And as Christians, we always look at that reference to Jesus because we know that this was the Scripture for Jesus. Might have been His first sermon right there in His hometown. Now, nobody can tell you what I preached on on my first Sunday when I had the chance to preach at St. Paul's Nettawall. fact of the matter is, some might remember that there was more silence in it than words. Because I wasn't very, uh, well, I was just bashful in those days. And uh, I would say one thing. And I'd think before I said something else. 
Actually, when I did my sermon for uh, ordination, uh, it was recorded. And I, I checked it. I, I declare it wasn't more than seven minutes. And uh, three or four minutes of that was reading the Scripture, and another three or four minutes was silence. So I don't know how I got in. I, I might not make it today, but uh, I wasn't rejected that time. And I'm thankful for it. But Jesus reads this, and then He says, Today, today this Scripture is fulfilled. Now, you you got all those things, you know, the blinders have sight, the, the deaf can hear, the, the, the lame are walking straight, and the prisoners are released. And uh, this is the day. And the people are just, you know, they're praising Jesus. They're, everybody's excited. He begins to preach on that text, and they don't like what He says. And they're ready to stone Him. And according to Luke, they take him out on the hillside with this, they're picking up the stones ready to throw them. And, you know, Jesus just mystically walks through them and away. Jesus himself rejected in his early day of preaching in his hometown. You know, a lot of, a lot of people can't make it in their hometown because they're too well known. And uh, it's good to be, you know, about, I don't know, 30 or 40 some miles away where uh, y'all know my mother. Some of you might have known my daddy, but you never know me that well. But I guess, I, well, in fact, I'm sure I, I could preach a sermon. And, and I would guess some of you, I'm not going to try to split, you know, this congregation. I, I know some of you would reject, if not me, myself, you would certainly reject sermon. I've had it happen. And uh, it doesn't feel good. And sometimes it, it seems to me that it's, it's not myself being rejected, but if I've been faithful and if I've interpreted God's Word correctly, it's, it's, it's going to be God's Word. Of course, Jesus was the Word, so His rejection is, is all one and the same. I don't, I don't want you to dwell on your own personal rejections. I, I want you to be thankful that we're all received, we're all welcomed, and we're all accepted here. So don't, don't dwell on your own rejections. But let's, let's look at this reading from 1 Corinthians. Remember that, that Paul has started in this letter, well, a chapter earlier, he, he's earlier in this chapter, maybe, he's told us that, uh, you can't say Jesus be cursed by God's Spirit. And you can't say Jesus is Christ or Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit is in you giving you those words. And then he talks about one Spirit and many expressions of the Spirit. And now he's, he's trying, to, trying to get this across to the people. And he talks about the body. Look at the body, all those parts. Now, we know more parts than, than Paul did, I'll guarantee you. I doubt that Paul knew what a pancreas was. I do. Uh, you know parts that, you know, I don't. And uh, there are a lot of parts. Now, I could almost be an exception to the story because I've gotten along without a pancreas. But I have to take those shots to make up for it. Sometimes the body rejects an organ or rejects a limb or, or rejects a part of itself. 
Now, now sometimes a, a body might reject an organ or, a, or something for a good reason. That might be the cancerous part, or that might be the damaged part, or that, that might be something that could do more harm than good. But sometimes it, you know, it seems to be a rejection that leaves the body limping. There are a lot of churches limping because there are a lot of churches that reject one member after another. We, we as churches are pretty bad about rejecting some people at times. And, and sometimes it may be because we don't, we don't ever get the parts figured out. You know, there, there are muscles and there are bones. There are organs for one thing and another. Skin and hair serve some kind of purpose besides just good looks. Uh, but, but in the church, we, we don't always get things figured out. Now you tell me, is, is it because we don't know our purpose or because I don't know my purpose and maybe he and she don't know their purpose? Uh, the purpose ought to be clear. You know, the discipline spells it out. Purpose of the organized unit of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Big item, big item, but what it says, you know, we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And we're to be working together. And, and not just to build this church, that would be nice, but, but for the transformation of the world. I fear that our church, speaking just as the United Methodist Church, I think our church often rejects that purpose. Sometimes it's, uh, it's knowingly. We don't, we don't want to deal with those people. We don't want them in here. I was told just the other day that there was a time when one of our big high steeple churches in one of our larger cities, not in our district, but in our conference, uh, took their, their new associate who had just been appointed there, walked into the front door of the church and said, now your job is, if any black people come up this door, don't let them in. I I would hope we're all past that. But I, I fear there's some churches that still get upset, you know, if a person of race came in. I don't think it'd be you. I think we'd be okay. But uh part of what the the the, the picture leads to is that uh you know, we all have differences. And some are obvious and some aren't. Some are older than others, and some are prettier than others, and some are, well, nobody's as handsome as I, oh, as Gary, I mean, uh, or Danny, or, well, we, but we all have differences. And, uh, and truth, truth be known, some of us tolerate differences better than others, and we all tolerate some differences better than other differences. So uh, it's it's part of our work as Christian people to, to get along with one another. But it, it's never just to get along. You know, I, 
I've worked camp. I prefer happy campers. But uh, I've also seen campers that were out of line. Oh, I, I've watched a, a pastor in residence, minister in residence one time. There was a little boy been giving us fits. And I couldn't believe it. He smacked him in the face. I thought, oh no, we're all in trouble now. And then I heard him say, now, if you understand me, we're okay. And I want you to settle down and I want you to behave. If, if, if we understand each other, things, you know, it's going to be all right. And it was the rest of that week. That boy behaved. He, he could have been, you know, he could have been named camper of the week. His behavior just completely turned around. And then I learned that the pastor had three sons of his own. So he knew how to deal with boys. And he, he didn't hurt him. He just got his attention. It's not always easy to deal with our differences. But then again, our differences make us stronger. Uh, because I can't preach to everybody. Uh, I can't appeal to, you know, everybody. And chances are, well, it used to be a, a used to be one of the statisticals that, uh, people came to church by the invitation most often of a friend. And, and the pastor was way down on the list of the, of the friends or the people who would invite them. Of course, the other, other uh, statistic was that it, it takes about seven, well, it takes several, several invitations before somebody might respond. You're lucky if they come the first time. And, and when they do come the first time, we need to invite them back and, you know, ask where they are when we don't see them anymore. Sometimes our rejection is a matter of sin. If, if it's our, the rejection of our of our purpose, if it's the rejection of, of a higher calling or of a more specific calling, or if it's, if it's the rejection of a, a proper way of, of doing things. Sometimes our, our rejection is, is a sin. And, you know, I don't know how many times you've been rejected that you would have thought that was a sin. But you know how rejection feels. And, it, and if we reject somebody from our own sinfulness, well, God forbid, and heaven help us. Now, more often than not, we, we simply fail by neglect and lack of effort. But I want you to consider, if you felt rejected by anyone here in this house, forgive. If you've been rejected anywhere by any church, forgive. But then remember how it feels and, and try not to reject any others. Uh, if, if it's, if it's somebody else's sin, forgive. If it's your sin, ask forgiveness and, and try to do better. But let's realize that the body of Christ, it, it has many parts, but it has, it has one whole function in a variety of ways to serve God and to love others. There are many ways we can do that. Together, in small groups, 
uh, even individually as we go from this building. Uh, we can be doing that every day. And uh, God will lead us and God will bless us as we go forth. Uh, let's not reject anybody. Let's welcome anybody and let's invite everybody. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your accepting us as we are. And thankfully, you don't leave us just as we are. You give us your spirit. You give us teachers. You give us help and assistance in so many ways. Now, as those who have been welcomed and received, uh, we want to be those who go forth to invite and to welcome others. In Jesus' name, amen.